It is in you, in Christ, that we stand today. And God, we thank you that today in particular, you're making your plan clear. We've just sung it together. We don't have to wonder what life is about or to what end you are pointing everything. Because you are now rescuing your people from sin, saving them in Christ, and making a people who will praise you forever from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all of this is for your glory. That is your plan, God, and so we enjoy it today. Thank you for revealing it. Thank you for telling us. Thank you for not just telling us, but inviting us into this great story. You've helped us to see you and to know you and to trust you and to obey Jesus Christ, to receive him and love him and bless him and serve him. Praise you, God. Thank you. Our hope truly is in Christ alone. We pray today for those without this hope. We know many this weekend will mourn the loss of friends and family who died in military service. Their sacrifice was great. And we thank you for the gift of living in the United States where we're relatively free and at peace. We pray that those who mourn this weekend would find the hope that only Christ can supply. Our hope is in you. Forgive us, Father, for the times this week we have placed our hope in other things, when we have chosen to stand not on Christ, but upon ourselves. We've looked to people for acceptance. We've believed our money is our confidence. We've been anxious and uptight because we foolishly believed we're in control. We've not taken the time to pray and be in our scriptures because we've believed our hope is in our jobs and our health. So we've spent more time in the gym and in the office than with you. These are sins and we confess them together. And we repent and thank you that in Christ there is always forgiveness of sin. God, help us to embrace our duties as Christians. To be like Christ in the parties we'll go to today and tomorrow. To do what Christ would do in each and every circumstance we'll meet this week. To live as he would live, to love as he would love, to turn away from temptation like he did, to care for the outcast, the broken, the marginalized like he did. We seek to do all this so that you would be known and enjoyed and glorified. This is your plan. We pray that you'd help us now to live in light of your plan. And as we turn again to the book of Psalms, we together submit ourselves to you, Father. We want to be people who sit under your commands and listen to your counsel. So we pray that you'd give us the gift of just a few moments of concentration on your scriptures. We're people in need of a word from you. So would you speak? Teach us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Kids, you are dismissed for Gospel Project. Thank you to those of you who are teaching them today. Bye, son. Every week, uh, there are a group of wonderful volunteers who are walking the children through uh, something called the Gospel Project. It's a three-year study through the whole of the Scriptures. 
So parents, make sure you follow up with your kids, ask them what they learned today. And the rest of us, would you turn with me to Psalm chapter 42? Psalm 42, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in under the seat in front of you. Feel free to take that and keep it if you don't have a Bible of your own. I see uh, several people I don't recognize today. Welcome to you today. I imagine there's people here visiting from out of town. Hope you have a wonderful time with your family and friends and that they were nice in dragging you here. We, uh, my name is uh, Chuck. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a, a joy and privilege to get to preach today from the Bible. We are uh, in a series of messages that we've just called uh, Songs for Summer. Essentially what we're doing is we're taking the first half of the summer. For those of us that survived the heat, we will hear uh, roughly seven, eight different psalms. And the psalms are the prayers and songbook of the Bible. They're a collection of 150 prayers and songs. And we're just taking one each week and trying to understand what it means and to apply it to our lives. And the book of Psalms, one of the great traits about it is that it expresses the whole range of human emotions. Whatever you feel today, there is a psalm about it. Whatever you felt yesterday, there's a psalm about it. Whatever you'll feel tomorrow that you're unaware of what you will face, there's a psalm about it. Psalms are tremendously varied. So far in this series, we've looked at two psalms, and both of them were very happy psalms. They were upbeat. Uh, psalm 1 and Psalm 23 are tremendous. They're famous. They're well-known psalms that talk about how to be happy in the Lord and what it means to have God as your guide and protector and caregiver throughout life. Today, I'm happy to tell you we're going to look at a not happy psalm. We're going to look at a psalm that's more melancholy. We're going to look at a psalm that helps those of us in the room who today are not happy and those of us who tomorrow might not be happy. We just don't know it yet. We're going to consider, consider an emotion that's no less common than happiness and its discouragement. In a fallen world, people often experience discouragement. Do we not? We face days of disappointment, despondency, sadness. We're often bummed and hopeless. And this psalm is such an encouragement to us. Again, as I said, the book of Psalms is the song and prayer book of the Bible. One very important key to prayer is honesty. Prayer is not worth much unless, as you talk to God, you're being honest. You might be able to think you're fooling him, but you can't fool him. So if you are sad, it's okay to talk to God about that. If you are happy, it's okay to talk, to about, talk with God about that. If you're angry, did you know it's even okay to talk with God about that? All of these things we find in the Psalms. Friends, when you are discouraged, the book of Proverbs, the book of Psalms, we preach Proverbs a long time, sorry. <laughs> the book of Psalms is clear. Be honest, be transparent, be open. 
Invite trusted friends into your experience so they can join you in prayer. Don't struggle alone. Discouragement is common, but that doesn't make it any easier. And a great gift we have from God in times of discouragement is to pray. And so we're going to look at a prayer today. It guides us in appropriate ways of what we ought to pray when we're discouraged and shows us the path forward. So turn with me there if you're not there already, and I'll read starting in verse 1 of Psalm 42. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember and I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with loud shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is within me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is Psalm 42. There are two gigantic questions in this psalm. Every human being will at some point ask the first, and every Christian will ask the second. We'll spend the most time on the first. It, of course, is why am I downcast? Have you had one of those days recently when you found yourself discouraged, but you're not sure why? A day when you're just sad, discouraged, weighed down, but unaware why. We all have those days from time to time. It's those kind of days we tend to be grumpy and negative, right? We can be honest in prayer. We can be honest with each other. It's helpful in those days to ask why. Why am I so bummed? In the case of the author of Psalm 42, who we don't know his specific name, there are four main reasons he articulates as he walks through this prayer, indicating why he's discouraged. Let me share them with you. The first is not one that I would imagine most of us would find coming to our minds quickly 
when we're discouraged. It's forced absence from corporate worship. The very first thing this guy says, I am discouraged, I am downtrodden, I am despondent because I haven't been worshiping with God's people. The writer of this psalm was far from Jerusalem. He was far from home. He was far from the temple. He's far from what we would call today the church. And as a result, he felt himself as being far from God. Isn't that interesting? Spiritual absence from the gathered church, spiritual sustained absence from worshiping with God's people can lead to a deep sense of discouragement and confusion. My dear friends, do you recognize the importance of gathered corporate worship? I'm not talking about the building that you're sitting in. I'm not talking about the number of people in that room. I'm not talking about the style of music or how long the sermon is. But the collection, the gathering of God's people. Do you recognize, Christians, how crucial that is to your spiritual health? This may be one of the most famous prayers in the Bible about sadness. The first reason this guy says, I am discouraged, is because he hasn't been worshiping with the people of God. You see, we meet not only with each other, but with God when we gather. This is ultimately a meeting of God's people with God. See? <laughs> I have never met a vibrant, growing, happy Christian detached long-term from God's people. Not one. I recognize that's a bold statement, but let me say it again. I have never met a vibrant, growing, happy Christian detached long-term from corporate worship. I think I haven't met one because they don't exist. As we sing, God reminds us that we're not alone. That our beliefs, while the world thinks they're strange, they're true. As we pray, God turns towards us as his people and he listens. As we give financially, we sacrifice together for the kingdom. As we read scripture, we're reminded that all of God's words are true. As we serve, we step away from the lie that life is about us. And we're reminded of the truth that life is about God, loving God, and loving people. As we sit under the preached word, like we're doing right now, we're nourished and challenged and comforted and given guidance. As we greet each other, we follow up on needs. We're encouraged by the relationships that God has allowed us to share. So brothers and sisters, are you discouraged today? There is no doubt some of us are. The writer of this psalm indicates he was despondent because he so missed public worship. 
the thing you are doing right now. He'd not appeared before God in worship for some time. And so a great question to ask is, although you're here today, are you in the habit of neglecting to worship with a local church? Do you know other Christians that you're in relationship with? This is one of the Lord's primary ways, one of his means. One of the people that discipled me early in my Christianity would call this, uh, call the means of grace, which means the things we do that position us in such a way that we can receive grace from God. Not we earn God's acceptance by doing it, but imagine... Imagine trying to take a shower in your living room. Not going to work. Why? That's not where the spigot is. Spigot's in the shower. If, if you're discouraged spiritually, you might be trying to take a spiritual shower in the wrong place where there is no spigot. One of the primary spigots is the gathered people of God, where God showers out his grace. That's what he's talking about when he says in verse 2, when shall I come and appear before God? He's talking about appearing before God with God's people. Think of the image at the start of this psalm, though. The panting deer. How many of you have been, we're going to practice active engagement today, all right? How many of you have been to the north rim of the Grand Canyon? All right, keep your hand up. How many of you would say when you were at the north rim of the Grand Canyon, you did not see a deer? Put your hand up. Two, two that I see. There are deer everywhere. You can put it down. There are deer all over the place in Kaibab National Forest. Incredible. First time I ever went there was 10, 11 years old. I had never seen so many deer. I had also never seen a deer poop, and I did that trip, which was just amazing. Such an experience. That's not in my notes, sorry. The deer are everywhere in Kaibab National Forest. They're thick, they're healthy, they're many. Why? The environment is right for them. The air is cool, not like here. It's remote, and there's lots and lots and lots of water. The deer of Psalm 42 is not the deer of the Kaibab National Forest. I pictured that reading this text growing up, but that's not what he's describing. What kind of deer is he talking about here? He's talking about a deer out in the wilderness who's about to die because he can't find water. This deer knows finding water is a matter of life and death. She recognizes the perilous state she's in. This isn't, I just gotta jump another couple of feet because I'm really thirsty. This is I can hardly move because I'm dehydrated and if I don't find water soon, I'm gonna die. 
Have you ever felt like that spiritually? I have. Do you think of what we do here on Sunday mornings as the spigot where God's grace flows out and you can drink and you can survive? That is what we're doing. That deer in Psalm 42 is like a Christian who knows she's not been aware of God's presence or been with God's people so long that she feels hopeless. Christian, part of our membership commitment to God and each other is to prioritize this, this weekly gathering. Why? There's tons of reasons. But one is so that this can't be a reason why we're discouraged. Because we're actively engaging in the thing that God says is one of the ways you meet with me. Now, a second contributor to this author's discouragement is very different than that. Hopefully, you won't experience it in here today. It's the angry taunts of unbelievers. Look at verse 10. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? There's a lot of weird things happening in here today. <laughs> Are you okay, Abiola? Excellent. Did you fall out of your chair? No. Every now and then, someone in the sound booth will fall asleep. So are you saying you're not sleepy? All right. Good. Where is your God? This writer is far from home. He's surrounded by people who don't share his beliefs in God. And what are they doing to him? They're mocking him. So... Get the picture. Here's someone already discouraged. So discouraged, apparently, it's physically visible. And these unbelievers around him are saying to him, you believe in God? You're a fool. If your God is so great, then why are you so discouraged? Where is he now? They used his sufferings as occasion to make fun of his belief in God. They teased him. Far from home, apart from his church family, out of Jerusalem, where people generally believed the same things and sought to follow the same God, he felt all alone. Some of you don't have to be gone to feel that way. You feel that way right at home because nobody else in your home believes. Some of you feel that way at work because nobody else at work believes. Some of you feel that way at school because you're not aware of anyone else who believes. Friends, we are often in the same kind of circumstance the author of Psalm 42 is, surrounded by people who think we're absolute idiots who think every time we pick up the Bible, we check our brains at the door. Right? That can cause discouragement. 
If you find yourself at Thanksgiving or Christmas or New Year's or Memorial Day or Fourth of July or Chinese New Year or graduations or weddings, if you find any of those things difficult because they are occasions for friends and family to mock your Christianity, then be aware that in those moments you are susceptible to discouragement. I don't at all mean don't go. I mean go with the armor of Christ on. Go being prepared for the reality of the temptation to be discouraged. Go in the strength the Lord supplies, not in your own. Because those are ripe moments to feel like a fool. Those are ripe moments to be asked a question that you haven't thought about in a while and to not know the answer and to feel despondent as a result. And recognize when that happens, this isn't simply physical in nature. There are spiritual forces at work. John Calvin, one of the great reformers, said this. It won't be on the screens. Just take it and listen. Whenever the ungodly triumph over us in our miseries and spitefully taunt us, saying that God is against us, let us never forget that it's Satan who moves them to speak in this manner to overthrow our faith. Let the wicked spit their spite, but let us be steadfast with God. A third reason this psalmist is discouraged is he has memories of joyful, more useful days. Look at verse 4. You'll see that there. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with loud shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. What in the world does that mean? Here's what he's talking about. In the environment this psalmist lived in, his job, so this man was probably a Levite. He was probably of the tribe of Levi, and his job was likely to sing and encourage God's people to sing as they made their way to the temple in Jerusalem. You think people... Imagine you right now being weird. Imagine if you lived a mile away and your whole way this morning to here, you were with a crowd of people and you're all singing out loud. And what are you singing? You're singing the Psalms. You would be really weird then, right? But back now, back here, this wasn't strange. This is what you did. You didn't subject yourself to private, individualized faith. That's not Christianity. You lived it openly. And you followed with God's people as you headed to worship. That's what he's talking about. And because he's not in Jerusalem, because he's far away, and there is no gathered place to go, he's remembering back when he had the privilege, the joy of leading God's people into that activity. And he's aware, why am I downcast? Why am I sad? Why am I depressed? 
because I'm not getting to do the thing that God created me to do. Because my opportunity for service has been removed. Do you get that? So all that weird language in verse 4, that's what he's talking about. One of the things the author is remembering is being useful in God's work. He was absent from the thing he was designed and gifted by God to do. Now, that was the specific way this guy helped serve his quote-unquote church as they were part of God's kingdom. But, but what about you? What are you doing, Christian, in service? Sometimes I hear people say things like this. I don't want to help in that role because that's not the thing I'm gifted to do or, or I like to do or that doesn't give me passion. That's completely fine and right. But the follow-up question has to be, well, what is? Because there is no saved person who hasn't been gifted by God to serve among the people of God. That kind of person doesn't exist. Do you hear what this guy's saying? I used to find so much joy and delight in connection with God in serving that now I feel like I'm going to die without it. I long to be back with my church, worshiping and serving. Because the energy and the joy of being used by God, being a conduit to bless other people, there's nothing like that. Nothing like that. He's saying, I love being a part of what God's doing. And I miss it. And I'm sad because I don't have it. So friend, are you discouraged? Perhaps your discouragement is due to a lack of service for the good of other people. God hasn't made human beings to be people who don't give back. That's not the way we're wired. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. He said the last will be first. He said the greatest among us would be the slaves of all. So if you've been saved, if you're a Christian, then God's done a whole bunch of things, some of which we faithfully talk to each other about all the time. God's adopted you into his family. He's made you a saint. He's justified you. He's reconciled you. He's made you an heir. But one we perhaps don't talk about enough is he's given you the identity of being a servant, even a slave. It's not some work you do to attain that status. It's something you already are. It's been given to you. So if you don't use it, Psalm 42 says, you will face discouragement. Christ came not to be served, but to serve. Why would you think it would be any different for you if you bear his name? So many of you serve with great joy and passion and frequency, and I praise God for you. Thank you. Some of you don't. Understand you're setting yourself up for dark days of discouragement because you're not living out faithfully what God has given you. 
And you're not wired, you're not designed to work that way. The final reason this man was so discouraged was because he was suffering. Part of verse 7 says, All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. I don't know what image you imagine. Is it you wish this weekend you were in San Diego? That's clearly not his point, right? All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. We don't know specifically what this psalmist was facing, but we know it was really horrible. It was difficult. Suffering had overwhelmed him. Have you ever been in the ocean, been looking the wrong way, talking to a friend, and a wave knocked you over? Not fun. He's saying, spiritually, I feel like that. I have been beat up by life. I'm drowning, and salt water is burning my eyes, and it tastes horrible, and I don't think I can swim to shore. If you have not been there yet, you will. This is a universal human experience. Maybe he was ill. Persistent physical struggles challenge anyone's emotions. We don't tend to walk very well with people who have chronic illness and pain. We do really great for colds and flus and even cancer. But when someone comes down with an illness that we can't, nobody can figure out, or it's found and it's not curable, and they're going to be sick, forever, unless God heals them or they die. We, we tend to struggle to know how to relate to people like that, don't we? Maybe he had some kind of illness that wasn't going away. If you're a Christian with a persistent health problem, one of the best things you can do is be honest and to be open about it and trust that even though a lot of people have not served you well because they've treated you like they were going to catch it if they stayed around you too much, keep being honest. Eventually, the Lord's going to bring someone who isn't going to run, who will walk with you, who will express empathy and not, not belittle you with trite, silly statements. Friend, if, if that person comes to you, what do you do? Don't say, every day with Jesus, sweeter than the day before. It's not true. Express genuine care while not giving platitudes. Give the ministry of your presence by just being there. You don't have to have anything to say, actually. Just be a friend. Cry with those who cry.
Perhaps this author was sick and nobody cared. Or maybe it was some other form of suffering. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But he was discouraged and he was despondent. Sometimes the deepest forms of discouragement are ones you can't see. Depression and anxiety are very common forms of suffering in our cultures today. You can't see either one of those. The person looks the same. But inside, it's like they're dead. Or those of you who have experienced severe anxiety, you feel like an elephant is sitting on your chest. That's suffering. Maybe this guy was depressed or anxious. We don't know. But be aware that in those moments of big-time suffering, the temptation, of course, will come, and that temptation is get angry with God for not removing it. And if that anger persists long enough, that anger will move into bitterness, and that bitterness will raise the question, where are you, God? Do you not even care? Are you not here? But notice the word that's repeated in this section. Your breakers. Your waves. Who's the your? It's God. The psalmist has a big view of a big God. See, he understood that even hardship falls under the providence of an all-powerful God. If God knows everything, if God sees everything, if God has the power to do anything he wants to do, if God is above time, then nothing catches him by surprise. And if he has the power, all power, and yet there is some hardship in life, then by him not removing it, by it simply happening, we can say your waves, your breakers. Frankly, as I look back on instances of suffering and times of discouragement in my own life, the belief that God allowed them for the good of making me more Christ-like, even if I couldn't connect the dot from A to B, has been the only truth that has truly comforted me. I am learning obedience through what I suffer. Trying to say that God doesn't exist or God doesn't care or God can't be trusted will likely be points of temptation for you in times of suffering and discouragement. And some well-meaning Christians will at times say things like, God didn't do that. God's surprised too. Those things are not true. They're not helpful. God says the truth will set us free. The truth is 
They are your waves and your breakers, God. Nothing happens in a Christian's life that's not first okayed by God. He is sovereign. He is in charge. I'm not saying that answers every question. But the Bible's answer for suffering is trust God. He's in charge. This won't last forever. He's coming back. And anything else you try to take is is not going to work. Only the truth can set you free. Now let's recap. The psalm says four things in particular caused this discouragement in this particular person's life. Couldn't go to worship with his church. Non-Christians are taunting him. He missed serving, and he had some other unnamed suffering. Maybe none of those fit you. That's possible. The good thing is there are thousands of ways and reasons why you may be discouraged. If your particular discouragement today isn't covered by the psalm, the cure to that discouragement still is. These are representative examples of difficulties. So why are you discouraged? Of course, there's many other reasons. And all of those other reasons, including the ones we did cover, lead us to the second question. Why has God forgotten me? Why has God forgotten me? Friends, for people who've been taught at every turn that life's about us, and even God exists to make us happy and healthy, then suffering will inextricably lead us to ask why. Why has this happened to me? Why doesn't God fix it? Why has God forgotten me? Christian, you may very well feel like God has forgotten me. Rest assured, sometimes God's presence feels elusive. Many people, even in the Bible itself, even the one we just read, had experiences of feeling like, I used to have God and now I don't have God. God, where did you go? We will have days in which we feel like God is not there. But God promises to never leave or forsake his own. Remember, if you were here last week, what we read in John. No one is able to snatch us out of Jesus' sure hands. No one, not even you. Why am I downcast? Why have you forgotten me, God? I went through a period of a couple of years asking that question. As a Christian pastoring in a church. These are questions you will ask one day if you're not asking them already. So what do we do when those times come? What do we do when we're discouraged? This psalm is masterful in that regard. It's brilliant. It's so brilliant, you may have missed it. It's so blatantly obvious, it may have escaped you. Uh, Friday evening, I took Abby and Micah out into uh, the, the wilderness, and Micah was running down this hill, and the dog was chasing him, and he'd get really far away. I'm not much of a runner at this point in my life. 
And so he'd stop, and I'd hear him yell, Checkpoint three! And he'd wait until we caught up with him, and then he'd go run in the next section. At one particular checkpoint, he's sitting on the ground, and Abby and I caught up to him, and all of a sudden he starts screaming. And we looked over, and literally about this far from him was a huge snake. And he was sitting right next to it. The solution to your discouragement is like that snake. It's so close to you. You just don't see it. Why? It blends in. It's disguised. It's easy to miss. I feel a little silly saying it to you. But the psalmist tells us exactly what to do when we face this kind of intense discouragement. He was aware that how he chose to handle his hardship mattered. Not just why he was discouraged, but what he was going to do in the discouragement. Look at the last verse of this psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The obvious question, who's he talking to? Not rhetorical. He's talking to himself. The way out of discouragement is to quit listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. It is funny. How we handle suffering eventually either leads to more suffering or to increased confidence in God, irrespective of if the circumstance changes or not. The key is knowing what to do with your feelings. Do you listen to them or do you talk back? Frankly, I think it is as simple as that. One of the most famous English preachers who's ever existed was a guy named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a physician who gave up his practice in order to preach. Listen to what he said. I suppose that one of the greatest problems in our life in this world, not only for Christians but for all people, is the right handling of our feelings and our emotions. Oh, the havoc that is wrought in the tragedy, the misery and the wretchedness that are to be found in the world simply because people do not know how to handle their own feelings. I would say, sign me up. I'll stand first in that line. I am well aware that I often do not know what to do with what I'm feeling. But he goes on. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. The author of this psalm recognized, I've been beat up by my circumstances and I've been listening to my self-talk instead of talking the truth of God to myself. What he learned is to tell himself the truth, 
Hope in God. Hope in God. This won't last forever. There will come a day again that I will praise God. And I don't know if he said that three times, ten times, if this took one day, ten months, ten years. I have no idea. But he's testifying that if God is who he is, and I believe he is, I can hope in him. My hope is not in my circumstances. My hope is not in how I feel. My hope is not in my health. My hope is not in how other people are treating me. My hope is in God. And I will yet again praise him. Not because I'm great and powerful and strong, but because he is. He started talking to himself, speaking the truth. One commentator said this, however many evils may press upon us now, if we are saints, good days are coming. If we are saints, we have good times now, but still better are coming. We shall soon be forever with the Lord. Friends, that's the truth. We must learn to speak to ourselves more than we listen to ourselves. I wish we had another hour, but let me in 90 seconds give you a method through which to do that that I have found so helpful. Ask yourselves these four questions. Number one, who is God? When you're discouraged, when you're frustrated, when you're angry, when you're despondent, when you're depressed, when you're sad, how do you talk to yourself? You, you don't turn to Oprah and the latest positive thinking. That's junk. It won't help. You turn to the truth of the scriptures. Who is God? You rehearse to yourself, this is what the Bible tells me is true about God. Even though I don't feel it, I can't see it, it doesn't seem like it looking all around me. This is who God is. Second, what has Christ done for me? What did Jesus do? Not, don't look inward, look outward. Look to the objective truth that exists outside of you. That's where the hope lies. What did Christ do in history for his people? Reaffirming that in my mind. Third question, who am I? As a result of who God is and what Christ has done for me, who does that make me? Not I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. No, I've been declared right with God. I am sanctified. Already it's complete in the sense of what I will be in heaven. That means I'm being sanctified today. I'm adopted into God's family. I'm forgiven. I am loved. I'm reconciled. I am not alone. I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Going over that stuff over and over and over and over and over and over because the tendency is to forget. And then finally, what should I do? As a result of who God is, what Christ has done for me, who he's made me, what do I do today? Works-based, legalistic, unchristianity works the other direction. 
It starts with, what am I supposed to do? If I'm behaving right, then these other things can be true. That is not Christianity. Christianity starts with God and what God has done. And that is the hope we live in. I have found personally no greater tool for talking to myself. If you see me driving, walking, running, you'll likely see me asking myself those four questions. I hope that you'll find them useful. If you're here today and you've recognized you can't answer those questions, and in particular you can't answer what has Christ done for me, then understand God is holding out a gift to you. That gift is the gospel. And I'm out of time, so I can't tell you. But if you are a, a transition team member, a life group leader, or deacon, would you stand up? These people are loving, godly, trained, prepared folks. They would love to talk to you. Don't leave if you don't know the answer to the question, what has Christ done? They will not swindle you. They will not persuade you to try to do something that you're not prepared to do. They will not beat you over the head with a Bible. They will not manipulate you. They will not control you. Find one of them or whoever you came with and ask them, tell me what this gospel is. That is your hope. Would you all stand with me now and let's pray. God, we have no doubt, all of us experienced discouragement, hardship, depression, difficulty, frustration, Thank you that the Bible is not an abstract, detached, old-fashioned, unhelpful homily. Thank you that it's real and honest and it's, it's told us today. We may face discouragement and here's what some of the reasons why are. But more importantly, here's what to do. Speak the truth to ourselves, who God is what Christ has done. God, may we hope in you. I pray every person here would consider where they are with you in light of the gospel. And God, we'd love to see you save some today. And I pray in particular for anyone here that is a Christian that is discouraged. Father, may you bless him or her with a renewed passion for you. And may, by the power of your word, you lift them out of their discouragement. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.